previously on the Beam Chronicles. I guess it's the 49th bus present then. You got me a rock? That, that's your boner rock. I always kept my 49th bus present tied around my neck. Now we know this fly is trouble, and when we find him, we'll handle him. Jackson, you have called us your family. A family protects each other, no matter the cost. Hell, you could do that right now. Tell Howie you're done with it, and... JT, do not do that right now. I won't, I won't. Because I swear to fucking God, if you do, Charlie, I'm going- Charlie, come on. I, I said I won't. But then maybe there was still one last option. These are the Beam Chronicles, with your host, MJ Dooney. Book One Initiation, Chapter 18, Sidney Kavorsky. Three weeks had passed since the day the fly ambushed Beam headquarters. During those three weeks, we relentlessly scoured the globe for him. Every resource we could use without arousing the suspicion of Howard Prophet we used. But the fly was a much better hider than he was a fighter. We knew everything there was to know about him, but it did not do any good. We had his real name and his mother's maiden name and that he graduated from MIT a year ago. We had his fingerprints and cellular phone number. We found his aunt and his best friend from high school and many other associates of Enzo Skelton, but none had seen him since the attack. We even discovered from where he had obtained the tanks and the drones. The military had reported the incident to scouting weeks ago, but even scouting with all of the resources Beam offered them had no more information on his whereabouts. Phil had set up several virtual nets around his credit cards and his identifications if the fly urinated in public if he stuck his head up for an instant of air. We would have heard about it. But he remained in the shadows. He remained underground. Eventually, he would run out of luck. Eventually, he would have to make a mistake and expose himself. For certain, he would one day launch a second attack on us, but it would probably be better if we found him before that. No one was more diligent in the search for the fly than Charlie. Not even Jackson, the most obviously at fault, approached the matter with as much vigor as she did. Whenever Phil would report on a whiff of the semblance of a lead, she would group away to that area, and she would sit atop the tallest building in that city with her eyes closed and her ears covered, sixing for miles. She would stay there and meditate and scan for hours. But as of yet, her searches had not revealed the fly. We will run out of cities soon, I said to Jackson as we rode in the back of the van together to the day's bust. Jackson would make much better time by flying, but he insisted on keeping me company. I would not deny such an insistence as the companionship was most appreciated. Uh, what do you mean? The fly. I leaned over to whisper, although Murphy was aware of the secret and was driving the truck, I felt the need to take extra precaution when discussing it. Soon there will be no more cities in which Charlie can search for him. Oh, right. Yeah, I really wish she would stop doing this, honestly. Oh, why is that? Because first of all, she's only ever sixed him twice. The first time she probably disregarded him completely, the second time for like five minutes. So the only way she'll come up with him from scouring miles of densely populated city is if he happens to be walking around in broad daylight with his extra arms attached. It's like seeing a guy once then picking him out of a football stadium full of people when he's wearing a disguise. Sixing is a deeper sensation than seeing, I reminded him. 
Even so, Charlie's good. She's not that good. She doesn't even know what she's looking for, yet she keeps running off to find it. Why? I have no idea. I had three theories on the answer to his question. Theory number one. Charlie wanted to find the fly before he attacked us because she was worried about the implications of the information he had gathered about her and myself during our previous encounter. Theory number two. Charlie was eager to find the fly before Howie discovered our secret because she had a very real sense of the sort of things of which Howie was capable, more so than Jackson or myself. Theory number three. Charlie wanted to find the fly before Jackson could find the fly, because it was her fear that Jackson would kill him, and preventing Jackson from explicitly committing murder was a trophy that Charlie held in very high regard. I did not understand why entirely, but it was an infectious goal that I had adopted myself. She is concerned for our safety, Jackson. She is guilty for letting him go the last time. Well, I guess I can't be too mad at her for that. He relented with a sigh. Even though without her, we get stuck with PR2 domestic cases. Murphy, I thought we got rid of the potency ratings once Sydney showed up. Nah. The rest of us use it all the time. We just stop reporting them to you three. I mean, honestly, combined, who cares what you're up against? It was true. There was a general trend recently, after our clearing of Beam's enormous backlog of cases and the successful defense of headquarters, toward depriving us of any field work at all. In a sense, Ava had transitioned from just another team of equalizers to the reserves, only deployed for cases of extreme danger or magnitude. I am told this was always the eventual intention for the department, however, we were still called to action now and again to keep us fresh, even when something worthy of our firepower had not presented itself. Charlie was often conveniently missing for these occasions, as was the case today. And today we get... Lindsay Flair. Laser eyes? We're busting a lady with laser eyes? Seriously, Murphy? Jackson did not ever read the reports, until such time that we were already en route to the case. I have it I suspected he had learned from Charlie. Hey, what do you want, alright? Should be straightforward, in and out, get you guys back to training or looking for your guy, whatever. Besides, I handpicked this case for you because I knew Charlie wouldn't be here. Shouldn't require anything outside of your specific comfort zone. Why not? Could you read the damn report, maybe? Jackson, I explained. This woman is both naturally empowered and has no active record of either criminal or vigilante activity. Reports from evaluations say that she is quite in control of her ocular beams, which leads us to believe that if mental suppression is possible, we can somehow force it to be permanent. As a last resort, we could remove her eyes themselves. So she hates her powers, and we can probably get rid of them. Uh, precisely. Uh, just say that, Sid. So she hates her powers, and we can probably get rid of them. <laughs> Good. The best kind of case. Knock on the door, take her to HQ, pop out her eyes, make her blind for the rest of her life, and we all go home alive. You know, there was a time where I would think this kind of thing was disgusting and barbaric. Now I'm just glad it'll be easy. Indeed. Pending her cooperation, this may not take long at all. Get the hell out of my house. We were seated in Lindsay Flair's living room. Jackson had just completed his explanation to the anomaly, Lindsay, of the course of action on which we were set. She seemed less enthused about the positivity of her options than we did. Lindsay, it doesn't really work that way. Oh yeah? You don't even have any proof of this. You don't have any idea whether or not I'm actually the way you say I am. So, unless I'm under arrest or you have a warrant, there's nothing you can do here. I know my rights. This is my house. You have to leave. 
Mrs. Flair. Miss? She interrupted me, still insisting that we vacate our positions on the couch in her living room. Miss Flair, I believe you are misunderstanding the nature of this visit. We are not the police. Even if we were, we could not arrest you, as you have not committed a crime. You're damn right I haven't. Yes. While we do not have a warrant, we do have a signed and approved completed evaluation of you and your anomalistic capacities. You will find this sufficient proof of our claims. I handed her the front page of the report and she began to read it. Lindsay, that's better than a warrant, okay? Jackson explained as soothingly and understandingly as he could. If we wanted to, if we judged it so, we're authorized to equalize you. Do you understand that? Lindsay Flair began to cry. I could tell it bothered Jackson by the contortion of his face. I occasionally envied his compassion, but never his guilt. We don't want to, Lindsay. We try really hard not to if we can avoid it at all. Luckily for you, we caught this early and we can eliminate it before it gets too out of control. Sure, I'm lucky. Just take my eyes out, right? I'm just blind forever, nothing to say about it, but at least I'm not dead, so I should be happy. Does that about sum up what you're trying to tell me? Can you even hear yourself talking? Jackson opened his mouth to say something, but words did not come out. He rubbed his face and adjusted his position, leaning forward and resting his elbows on his knees. You're right. I'm sorry. It sucks. You're not lucky. It sucks. It's not fair. But consider the alternatives, Lindsay. Nobody here has a choice. It's just how things are now. What about him? What about freakish purple man over there, huh? He gets to walk around in broad daylight, he gets to come take my eyes away, you're telling me I'm more dangerous than him? Lindsay, I am a special case. Well, can't I be a special case too? No, Lindsay, that's not how this goes. We don't get to decide things like that, we don't get to decide anything, believe me. All we do is take dangerous people and make them less dangerous. But I'm not dangerous. I never use the lasers, I don't even want them. That is good. We can most likely take them from you. And if you can control them as you have been, there is a chance that perhaps we can ensure that they are contained without taking your eyes. Perhaps a drug cocktail or some sort of brain surgery with frequent check-ins to ensure the effects are permanent. You may get out of this with your eyes yet. It is too early to give up that hope, but you still must come with us. I I'm sure you've seen Beam on TV before, right? I'm sure you had some inclination this sort of thing was coming. I know it's completely unfair, and I agree with you on that, but again, try to see this in the best light. Consider the sort of thing that usually happens to people like you. But I'm not one of those people. I'm not an anomaly. I don't want to fight crime. I never, ever use them. I never do. I swear. I know, but we... Beam thinks it should take the precaution anyway. What if one day you wake up and whatever is making it so you don't shoot lasers out of your eyes all the time stops working? What if it gets worse and then you hurt people? You don't want that, Lindsay, and Beam can help make sure it doesn't happen. I'm not Tanaka, all right? I'm not gonna lose control and melt the suburbs. I'm just a single mom trying to get by and I don't even use them. Yeah, you, you keep saying that, but if that were the case, we wouldn't have this evaluation sheet saying that you were a threat that we had to look into. Obviously, you've used them at some time. Suddenly, a look of shocked realization washed over Lindsay Flair's face, almost eclipsing her anger. Oh my god. This was my husband, wasn't it? My ex-husband, he's the one who reported me, isn't he? We honestly don't get that information, Lindsay, and even if we did, you know we couldn't tell you. Yeah? Whoever did that evaluation, whoever saw me use the beams, did they get the information that he was violating his fucking restraining order by coming to my house? Listen, I- What the hell was I supposed to do? Let that asshole come inside? That's not our jurisdiction. That's a legal thing for the police. 
He spoke distantly, as if any attempt to do more than just say the literal words, any attempt to consider their inherent meaning, was too disgusting for him to undertake. It was as if his own lips were betraying him. Oh, so that's how it works, then? You protect people from me, but you don't have to pay attention when my abusive ex-husband comes knocking on my door, only when I turn the beams on, only when I'm a threat. Now you're suddenly concerned about people's safety. He probably only came here because he knew you were watching and wanted to expose me. Doesn't any of this matter to you? Don't you even care? Yes, of course, I... I could tell my friend Jackson was getting frustrated with the development of events. He was overly emotional, as was his tendency, and had already said too much. I aimed to refocus the conversation myself for his sake. Miss Flair, your situation is unenviable to say the least. Based on your story, your husband surely is an ass. She vaguely smiled and I pressed on. But consider that Beam does not enter a situation unprepared. We are not permitted to leave here without you. The only choice remaining for either party is how we get you to headquarters. We do not wish to use force, but if you make it a necessary last resort, we unfortunately must. We are as bound in this as you. Do you understand that? I have a son, okay? I got a son outside playing right now. He's five. We just got away from my husband, and now he's using this to get my son back? I know he is. You have no idea what kind of man he is. You have no idea the things he did to us. I can't... I can't just let him have my son. We can give you a minute to find an appropriate place for your son. Perhaps a grandparent no, or... No, no, see, you're missing the point. Even if I go with you, even if I cooperate and play nice and count my damn blessings that I didn't get killed for these fucking eyes I don't even want, even if I go blind and just move on with my life, they still take my kid away from me. You gotta know, Purple. I mean, you gotta know the stigma that goes along with being an anomaly. They aren't just gonna give me custody after this. They're gonna take my kid. And if I'm not there to protect him... What if he ends up back with his father? No, Miss Flair, you are overreacting, I assure you. Given your cooperation, Beam will testify on your behalf during custody proceedings once we have successfully suppressed the abilities. But we will not allow them Bullshit. to- Bullshit. It doesn't matter what you say. Why should I believe you? Lindsay, we supersede all federal organizations, all right? Jackson began again to say things he should not say. Every single one of them, we trump them all. Beam has the authority to keep your kids safe. If CPS wants him, We'll just tell him he's an anomaly too, or that we need to keep him at HQ to examine him just in case he is. Beam can do that. We're that big. Hell, we can stall the legal process for 13 years if we have to, and it'll never even see the court until he's legally an adult anyway. You'll never lose your son. We can all but guarantee it. But why would you? I don't believe you. You're just trying to get me to come with you, and then you'll lock me up and my son will be back with... You're lying. I know you're lying. I'm not lying. I swear to God, I personally guarantee it, all right? Nothing will happen to your kid. Uh, Jackson, I, I do not know if you should. No, Sid, I'm saying it. I'm so fucking sick of this bullshit. I'm done with it. I promise you, Lindsay, I will let nothing bad happen to your kid. I won't let his father anywhere near him. You have my word. I swear to God. Do gods even believe in God? She asked monotonously. I had not realized it, and neither had Jackson himself, but in his fervent defense of Lindsay's son, a boy he had never even met, Jackson had grown so impassioned that he was floating a foot above the couch, exposing his own anomalistic nature. He slammed himself back down. Lindsay, wait, listen to no. me. No. 
Fuck you. You're a liar and a hypocrite, and you should be ashamed of yourself for what you're doing. Trust me, I am. I don't need you to make sure his bastard father doesn't get anywhere near him. I'm gonna do that myself. And Lindsay Flair sprinted for the backyard. No, Lindsay, no, Jesus Christ. Sid, get the mom. I'll get the kid, you get the mom. He darted after her out the door, calling back to me. I was admittedly still underexposed to humanity, but this was a deranged display I did not understand for so many reasons, and had I not been so preoccupied with trying to piece it together, perhaps it would not have ended so... tragically. Here was a mother, so ardently against the idea of what her husband could do to her son, she openly aimed to kill him. In order to prevent it, Lindsay Flair was trying to kill her son. She fired beams from her eyes directly toward the boy, playing innocently on the ground, but Jackson managed to lift him out of the way at the last second. How? How was this even a possible course of action? Blatantly, she was psychotic. It was all I could construct to make sense of it. The woman was mad, and yet, she did not seem so moments ago. She thought she was saving him, her son. By killing him, she would kill this boy, this son that she obviously loved to save him from whatever fate his father had in store, and in doing so, she nearly sealed her own death as well. Surely she would be equalized as a dangerous threat now that she had proven her madness, surely she realized it. By attempting to kill her boy, she had as good as killed herself, and yet she did it again, fired another beam at her child now floating in the air above her in Jackson's telekinetic grip. Sid, get her! Was there a fate worse than death? She would rather they both die than either of them see this father again. What could a man do to a child that was worse than what she aimed to do? What could possibly be worse than death? Sidney, damn it! What are you doing? Knock her down! Was death not the ultimate sacrifice? Were there notions worse than death this mother could not bear to subject her son to? Why did Jackson not himself fly into the sky? Why did Jackson not himself push the mom? Why did Jackson not move when she aimed her beams? He glanced at me with a wry, apologetic smirk. No. Jackson's body flung across the yard like a limp ragdoll and slammed into the wooden picket fence. The child, the sobbing boy whose mother had tried to kill him, fell from the sky, but Jackson sprawled onto the ground in a gory, massacred state, lifted an arm out to slow his descent, catching him inches before he struck the ground. The mother again moved to point her eyes toward my friend, shaking vigorously as he held onto her child, but this time I did not hesitate. My hesitations had already cost me so much. I stepped forward and snapped her neck. The laser sputtered out and she fell, lifelessly. Our paths crossed, the child's and mine, as we each went toward our respective fallen loved ones, begging ourselves that it not be so. Jackson, I... I rolled him over onto my lap and supported his head. His torso was covered in charred, smoking flesh, and I chose not to look at his beating heart and breathing lungs exposed in his ribcage, open to the world. He feebly yet frantically reached up to clutch the stone he wore tied around his neck, luckily still in one piece, and the panic faded from his face. In its place, a relieved peace. Jackson, why, why did you not? Sid, this is not your fault. Do you understand? Jackson, I could not think of what to say other than his name. I knew that my friend was going to die, but not a single thing beyond that made sense. Nod at me, Sid. Nod if you know this wasn't your fault. I nodded. Sidney, 
Now, listen. Are you listening? I nodded once more. The kid, Sydney. She was gonna kill him to keep him from whatever his dad did to her. It was that bad. You need to take care of that kid for me. Do you understand the kid? Jackson, I understand your request, but I... I do not understand. Why did you not fly away? Why did you not try to... He smiled. The light in his eyes was dim. There were only seconds left. Tell Caraway and Phil and Murphy. Charlie, tell them all I'm sorry. Tell them I... I got out of... <laughs> Just tell them I'm sorry, all right? Maria won't understand, but Charlie might. Okay, Sid, tell them all I'm sorry. I will tell them, my friend. I will tell them, my brother. It was only the second time in my life that I had ever cried, and I watched his heart stop beating. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beam Chronicles, a fiction podcast written and produced by me, MJ Dooney. We're closing in on 1,000 total downloads for this little passion project of mine, so first and foremost, thank you for your part in that. I don't do a good job celebrating my accomplishments, and I try to avoid numerical stuff like that because it's usually more discouraging than anything else, but 1,000 is a nice round number, and considering I've been at this a little more than three months, it's really great. Thank you, sincerely. If you want to help the show grow even more, maybe 2,000. The best thing you can do is rate it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Also, like, follow, subscribe, whatever on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Should be stuff coming there soon. Leave me some feedback, beamchronicles at gmail.com as well. I'll gladly respond to any emails. Next week is Christmas. Humanity is super busy this time of year. I doubt a full new episode will be out. And I realize that one of the main characters uh, just died, but... I think you'll have better things to do on Christmas anyway. I'll probably still post a short something just to keep up the habit, but it might not be longer than a few minutes. If you're really upset about that, I don't know, email me or send me a PM on Twitter. I'll console you. All music and sound effects were sourced through the Epidemic Sound Library. Special thanks to Sergio Duarte for creating the cover art for this podcast. You can find him on Instagram. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>